sponsored by Newport Healthcare, providing results-driven mental health care for teens and young adults ages 12 to 28 who are struggling with trauma, depression, anxiety, and other mood, personality, and co-occurring disorders. At Newport Healthcare, tailored treatment plans foster sustainable healing to help young people move from struggling to thriving. Learn more at NewportHealthcare.com. Do you have secrets? Maybe you're looking to leave your job and don't want your coworkers or your boss to know. Maybe you still feel shame about cheating on an exam in high school. Maybe you haven't told anyone whom you voted for in the last election. Or perhaps a friend told you about an extramarital affair and swore you to secrecy. We keep our own secrets and sometimes we keep those of others. Research has shown that on average, people have about 13 secrets at any one time, five of which they have never told another person. How does this secret keeping affect us? People often describe secrets as burdens that weigh them down or eat away at them. Do these metaphors reflect a deeper truth? Does keeping a secret bottled up inside harm us? And if so, how? How does keeping secrets or sharing them affect people's relationships with each other? How do we decide whom we can trust with our secrets? And can other people tell when we're holding something back? Welcome to Speaking of Psychology, the flagship podcast of the American Psychological Association that examines the links between psychological science and everyday life. I'm Kim Mills. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Slepian, the Sanford C. Bernstein and Company Associate Professor of Leadership and Ethics at Columbia Business School. He's a research psychologist who studies the psychology of secrets. He examines the intersection of secrecy, trust, and motivation, including the consequences of secrecy and how we judge and develop trust. His new book, The Secret Life of Secrets, How Our Inner Worlds Shape Well-Being, Relationships, and Who We Are, is being released in June by Penguin Random House. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Slepian. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the number I quoted in the introduction, that people keep about 13 secrets at any one time on average, and five of them they've never told anyone. Those numbers come from your research. Can you tell us about that study? How did you arrive at those numbers? Yeah, so when we first started this research, um, we didn't know we didn't have the most basic questions yet answered, like what secrets do people keep? How often did they keep them? And so we went to find out. We asked a couple thousand people, what is the secret you're currently keeping right now? And then we looked at the responses and looked at the themes and the common instances listed. And we saw 38 categories could really well capture what those folks said that they were keeping secret. Um, And then when we gave this list to another group of participants, sure enough, 97% of them say they have at least one of the secrets from the list right now. And the average person has 13 of the secrets from that list at any given time five of which they've never told anyone. So, And so these categories that we're talking about, they really comprehensively cover what people keep secret. When we ask people open-ended, what is a secret that you're keeping? 92% of the time, it fits one of these categories. So what are some of the most common secrets that people keep? Yeah, so the most common secrets include uh, having told a lie and you don't want that to become known. Um, romantic desire um, while you're not in a relationship is a very common secret. Um, money is another common secret, things related to, to sex. So how do you define a secret? Is there a difference, for instance, between a secret and something that we just consider private? Yeah. And in fact, um, the 
it can be there can be some gray area between, but there's a way to draw a line between the two, which is that privacy tends to sort of focus on, um, you know, you don't broadcast personal information very, very widely if you're a private person. Um, and if there's something that people don't know, um, it may be because these aren't the kinds of things we tend to talk about. So a lot for a lot of folks, they don't talk about money or they don't talk about sex. And so that might be why people don't know those things about you. But when it becomes a secret, um, it's just it's not just that someone doesn't know this thing about you, but it's that you intend for them to not learn this information. That's when we arrive at a secret. So let's talk for a minute about the intersection between lying and keeping a secret. For instance, I recently watched the movie Dear Evan Hansen, where Evan creates this whole complicated fiction about having been friends with a schoolmate who has killed himself. The lies that Evan tells about the relationship are, they're very much like secrets, and they appear to be a heavy burden on him, much like secrets tend to be, only maybe more so because he never was friends with the other boy. So are, are lies just a different type of secret? So no, I would say that lying is one way you could keep a secret, but it's not the only way. You, there's plenty of secrets you can keep without telling lies. So a lie is one way out of many to keep a secret. And then, of course, you can keep a lie a secret. But they're, they're sort of different constructs, but they're kind of intersecting in this way. So a lot of your work has to do with how secrets affect us, often in harmful ways. There's a line in an essay you wrote that said, the real problem with having secrets is not that we have to hide them, but rather that we have to live with them. So why is living with secrets so difficult? What's so difficult about just simply having a secret, um, a secret that you might not ever have to hide in conversation, um, if it's something you care about or if it's something that's bothering you, to choose to be alone with that thing tends to not help. Um, we tend to not develop the healthiest ways of thinking about these struggles we keep entirely to ourselves. And so even wh whether you're hiding it frequently or not, your mind is going to return to this thing time and time again, and you're not going to know what to do with it. Are there some types of secrets that are harder to live with at others? For example, you've looked at the difference between secrets that people consider shameful and those they feel guilty about. Is one worse than the other? Yeah. So, so in, in one sense, um, if we sort of ignored what our secrets are about, we could see that the secrets that return to our minds more frequently are the ones that are also related to low well-being, um, not the ones that we say we conceal more frequently. But when we look to what the secrets are about, we see this distinction that you mentioned between shame and guilt. And shame, we can consider someone, when someone feels ashamed, they feel like I'm a bad person um, to some degree. Um, when someone feels guilty, they think I've done a bad thing. And so instead of thinking I'm a bad person, I've done a bad thing is actually much more healthy. And it's when people feel like I'm a bad person that they find their minds returning to the secret time and time again. And those are the secrets we say sort of hurt our well-being the most. And how does keeping secrets harm us? Was there research that ties secrecy directly to poorer physical or mental health? So this is where things get Tricky. <laughs> uh, trying to link a specific secret to, to lower physical health is tough. Um, and so, you know, there was a well-known study in the 90s that looked at men who were keeping their sexual orientation secret who are, were also diagnosed with AIDS. And they found that the men who concealed their sexual orientation more often had a more rapid progression of disease and even died sooner. Um, and so that's sort of a sobering idea. Um, 
but uh, it doesn't mean it was the, it's the part, the hiding part that that was so bothersome or, or troubling. Um, that is when you there's there's the moment in which you sort of conceal a secret during conversation that turns out to be easier than we've made it out to be. But the real problem with this situation is not feeling comfortable enough to be yourself. And that's really um, very reliably related to lower well-being, um, feeling unsupported. And so it's having your mind return to f- ideas like that. I can't be who I am. I'm not supported for who I am. That seems to be where the trouble or where the harm really begins. So is there a difference between keeping our own secrets and keeping a secret for someone else, such as one example I gave in the introduction about a friend who confesses an affair? Does keeping someone else's secrets feel as burdensome as keeping our own? It can. Um, So if someone confides a secret in you and you have totally overlapping social networks, you're now essentially keeping the secret for them too. Um, or if only certain people are allowed to know, it, it can get burdensome really quickly. Um, but if it's something that's not directly relevant to some folks in your shared social network, it's not as difficult. Um, when another person's secret becomes burdensome is when it becomes something we find our minds returning to time and time again. Um, but there's a good side too. Um, we feel glad that other people feel comfortable confiding in us. We see that as an act of intimacy that brings us closer together. So sharing a secret then can bring people closer together, or does does it depend on the nature of, of the secret or or even the person to whom you've told it? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm imagining you're telling someone that you're already close to. Um, if it's someone you're not already close to, it would be quite intimate perhaps to reveal something uh, that you wouldn't tell just anyone. But again, it's a really great way to like jumpstart a relationship. Um, anyone who's, you know, trying to form a relationship quickly realizes that sort of revealing sensitive things, making yourself vulnerable is, is a way to connect with each other. What advice do you have for people who are living with secrets that are weighing on them? Can How can they think about whether the risk of telling the secrets are worth the relief of being able to unburden themselves? So this is a question that is just so hard to answer on your own. And the good news is you don't have to. Um, so you can still keep the secret you're, from the person you're keeping it from. But you can talk to a third party and say, like, what do you think I should do with this? It's so helpful to just have one more perspective than your own because it's really hard to step outside of your perspective, especially when you're not sure what to do. Um, talking to a third party is, is definitely what I would recommend in that situation. Sponsored by Newport Healthcare, dedicated to providing sustainable healing for young people struggling with mental health concerns so they can move from self-destruction to self-esteem. Based in compassion and driven by outcomes, Newport serves teens and young adults ages 12 to 28 at residential and outpatient programs nationwide. Through tailored treatment and family support, Newport successfully addresses psychological and behavioral health issues, including depression, anxiety, PTSD, personality disorders, and substance abuse. Learn more at NewportHealthcare.com. So you participated in a kind of public art project a few years ago where people could tell their secrets anonymously in a public phone installed in a park. Does that kind of anonymous sharing have the same effect? Will it make people feel better if you have a secret that you aren't ready to share with your friends or family? Is it helpful to tell it to a stranger or even write it in a diary or a journal? 
If you're truly not ready to tell anyone that you know, or you just can't find yourself ready to talk about it, then something like this is a good start. Um, I wouldn't say it's everything, but it's a good start. Sometimes it just takes saying it out loud to feel like, okay, this is something I can deal with or, or work on. Um, so whether you're doing that on the secret telephone, if you happen to stumble that stumble upon it in, in New York City, or journaling, but journaling, you want to be careful um, because in theory, it could be this great space to work through something on your own without involving another person. But if you're using the space to simply rehash the past, it can essentially become a, a written record of, of harmful rumination. Um, and that's when it actually harms more than it helps. And so to get journaling to work, you really want to use it as a space to step outside of your usual perspective. The thing that's extremely hard to do on your own, really easy to do in conversation with another person. So what did you find from that phone project? What were you asking people after they told their secrets? I assume there was some kind of follow-up. This is this is what it becomes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I wanted it to become a research project, but it's so far it's an art project. Um, we haven't we haven't you know the idea was that we would program the phone so people could answer a few questions. That hasn't happened yet, but just we've just been looking at the things people keep secret, um, and they're just they're quite interesting to listen to. You know, and I've been doing this research for ten years and. Hearing the person's voice describe the secret is is a really interesting experience. I think they do something like that at Burning Man, don't they? Or they have in the past. The phone, sure. the phone in the <laughs> desert. Yeah. So what about telling your secrets to a therapist? Is that sharing part of what makes therapy work for people? It's certainly one of the ingredients, um, for sure. And if that's something that you feel you'd be comfortable doing if that if that might work for you it's a great it's a great way to talk about these things without any of the risks that normally come with talking about these things to friends or family or, or your romantic partner even but if that's not something you're interested in really anyone can do this like anyone can sort of hear you out and say that sucks or i'm here for you um, any most folks can offer just a little bit of advice that you hadn't considered um, because they have this unique perspective that is not your own. So any person you would feel comfortable talking to, our research shows that the typical response to being confided in is a positive response. And someone has to respond very negatively for you to regret doing so. So even a lukewarm response, people find helpful. What about people whose jobs require them to keep secrets? And I don't mean the proprietary information, but like People who are spies, for example, or journalists who agree to protect their sources, you know, on pain of going to jail or lawyers who might represent somebody they know is guilty. Is keeping a secret because of your job the same as keeping a more personal secret? They can converge when it's something that is on your mind a lot, but you're not allowed to tell your spouse. Um, that becomes a difficult situation and it can feel isolating. We see in our research, it can feel isolating to not be able to talk about your work with other people. Um, but there are some differences, as you might imagine, too. If the nature of the secret you keep for work is it's not something you have to think about a lot, it, it seems not to be very burdensome. But if it's something big and you can't talk about it with other folks, your mind may return to it time and time again. And then it starts looking like a, the, the harm starts looking like a personal secrets harm. Is, is there something in the psychological makeup of somebody who can be a spy, for example, and can keep secrets and, and still perform every day? I mean, has anybody looked at that? I would say that someone 
who speaks their mind as soon as they have a thought would probably have a harder time uh, in that job or maybe never even make it close enough to find out. Um, normally when we have thoughts and there's people around, with, we share them. Um, and it's not just because we want people to know what's inside our head. It's just how we connect with people. And it's also how we learn about the world. You know, you share your thought and you see what someone says in response. Um, but if you have no trouble not sharing the thoughts that you're having, maybe maybe you could be a spy. <laughs> <laughs> can can we tell when people are keeping secrets? I know there's been research into whether somebody is lying, but are there giveaways when somebody is is you know keeping some information from you? How, how would you know? So in most situations, there's not any clues um, because people can't read your mind. Um, they they. They can understand if something's upsetting you or bothering you, but you, they can't literally see a secret on your face. Um, and so, you know, in some ways that's great. That's quite helpful <laughs> that people can just read your secrets on your face. That would be really frustrating. Um, and so this, what the studies show is that when we bring two people together in a room and have one person hide something from the other, the other person can't tell that they're hiding something often. Um, and people who watch the video recordings can't tell that they're hiding something. And so why... Why is that the case? Intuitively, we'd think that maybe we would, people would somehow tell, people would somehow be able to tell. Um, and I think when we think about that picture in our mind, we're sort of imagining the most difficult secrecy situation we can imagine. Someone asks you a question directly related to your secret. It turns out in real life, that doesn't happen very often. Um, people don't go around asking people, so much have you ever cheated on your partner? Were you ever abused during childhood? These are just not questions we ask. And, you know, these aren't topics that necessarily come up in conversation so much, experiences of trauma. And so those kinds of secrets, it's really hard to, to imagine how someone could somehow know that you're keeping them. Now, if it's your romantic partner, however, here's where things become different. If there's a conversation topic that you're avoiding, which is one way, one frequent way folks try to keep secrets from their romantic partners, your partner is going to be able to tell. Um, if there's just a conversation topic you never seem to touch or sort of dodge whenever it comes up, they're going to notice that. Um, and that is not going to be good. As you might imagine, when we believe our partners are keeping secrets from us, one of the reasons that's so hurtful is we feel not included in their lives. So you start your new book with a personal story about how you learned a significant family secret that your parents had kept from you un until well into your adulthood when you were already doing research on the psychology of secrets. Can you tell that story and, and how has that affected uh, the work that you're doing now? Yeah. So when I first started researching secrecy, I was doing it in a sort of Strange way, because I wasn't trying to learn about secrecy. I was trying to learn about metaphor, um, which you mentioned earlier. And secrecy was just one example, this idea that people describe secrets as heavy or, or weighty or burdensome. Um, I was sort of ex interested in what secrets people associate with a sense of burden. And so I had been doing that research for a couple of years. Um, and in fact, there was one particular day when I was giving my job talk to Columbia. So I'm on my interview at Columbia for my position and I feel like it goes well. I present my research on, on secrecy to them. And then later that night, when I'm actually still with people from the interview, um, getting drinks at a bar, I get a call from my dad. And, you know, he never calls 
so so late at night and so i became really concerned something something bad has happened and he called again and i'm like oh no um you know maybe there's been a death in the family or something and so i finally get in touch with him after the interview is officially over said goodbye to everyone um and he says michael i i need to tell you something uh are you sitting down and then he goes on to tell me i i didn't sit down uh, he goes on to tell me that he's not biologically able to have children he's is telling me that he's not my biological father. And this is after a day of presenting my research on secrecy uh, as part of this interview. And as you can imagine, that's very shocking to learn about. Um, but much later, I realized essentially at the same time that my research was coming to this conclusion that it's not the act of hiding in conversation that's very difficult, but it's having to think about a secret and, and live with it alone in your thoughts. Um, and I realized my parents' situation was was really a perfect illustration of that um, because I had asked my parents much later, when did you decide to keep this secret? Um, I assumed it was either after I was born, shortly after I was born, or shortly after my younger brother was born. And my mom said, neither. Um, we had decided that we would never tell our children, and we could tell anyone else, but we would never tell our children. And they decided that before we were ever born. Mm. Um, and this is why secrecy, we really need to define it as an intention, because the moment you intend to keep the secret, you have it. And they were keeping, they had this secret well before they could even hide it. Um, they could, it could already cast doubts and worries. What if we looked different from my father or, or what they needed to know about our genetics? And so they told me that a lot of what was difficult about having that secret was not that they once in a while had to hide it in conversation. That, in fact, was very rare. But they just had to once in a while think about it, and certain things would bring it back to the top of their minds, and that is where the burden would come from. And what precipitated your father's telling you when, when he yeah. told you? And, and did he know that this was an important day for you and that you had just finished an interview for a job? Yes. So, <laughs> so I learned that they could, they very considerately waited for the interview to be over. <laughs> they wanted to tell me that day, though, because – Maybe the day or, or two days before my brother had found out about the secret. Um, and the way he found out about it was he was on the on a phone on a phone call with my mom. They were chatting. She mentioned offhandedly that she recently got in an argument with her father, our grandfather. My brother was like, that's so weird. I've never heard of you two arguing ever. What were you arguing about? And she said, I can't tell you. It's a secret. And he was like, well, now you have to tell me. And she's like, no, I promised I would never tell you. <laughs> and so as you can imagine, that's a great way to get someone to keep pushing and pushing until they so they, until they learned the secret. And he did. Um, and once he learned it, they had to let me know. But they they wanted to wait until the interview was over before they told me. Wow. So what, what next? What do we need to know about secrets? What are you looking into um, going forward? So in thinking about what it means to have a secret and, and what you should do with it. Um, you know, one thing that we've sort of alluded to already is talk to a third party um, because they have a unique perspective that they can offer you that's really hard to find on your own. And that's part of the problem when you're living alone with a secret. You're sort of stuck with your one way of thinking about it. What we're doing now is starting to consider what the secrets are about. Um, and when I say there's 38 categories of secrets, that's too many categories for, for understanding like which secrets hurt you more than others. And so what we're doing now is understanding how people perceive their secrets as sort of compared to each other. And it turns out that people see their secrets as having three primary dimensions, whether it's a secret to moral, 
whether it's secrets related to our relationships and whether it's secrets related to our goals and trying to understand the unique qualities of those three different dimensions or experiences we can have with our secrets. Well, thank you for joining me today, Dr. Slepian. This has been really interesting and I promise I won't tell anyone what we talked about. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You can find previous episodes of Speaking of Psychology on our website at www.speakingofpsychology.org or on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. If you have comments or ideas for future podcasts, you can email us at speakingofpsychology@apa.org. Speaking of Psychology is produced by Lee Weinerman. Our sound editor is Chris Kondayan. Thank you for listening for the American Psychological Association. I'm Kim Mills. 